Caulfield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Come on down to Twin Peaks on Eastern. we got a ton of cool prizes, including Scorpions tickets up on the Strip and uh, also tickets to go check out the Vegas Golden Knights for the October 24th game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. We're on in Reno here in Vegas. It's Nevada's Sports Talk Hour with Willie Ramirez and Steve Cofield. Let's do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents The Big Four at Four. Number four. Got big headline news of the day. We got Monday Night Football on the way. Chargers four against the Broncos. Raiders lost Nate Hobbs. It's official. He's going to be out for a while with a broken hand, injured reserve. And the Indians are trying to pull off the upset against the Yankees. That game's going to start up here in just a couple of seconds. Meanwhile, Golden Knights off to a really good start. Dominant victory on Saturday night. Now they're 3-0. What do you like so far? The only 3-0 team. Um, I like the way that they've won in different manners. You know, um, they sort of got in a back and forth with the Kings. Kings were favored. This is a team that many had winning the Pacific Division. The Kings supposed to have a big bounce back year. A lot of question marks on whether the Golden Knights would even make the postseason. They stood toe-to-toe, and the big guns came out and scored for them in that game. Um, So I I like that. And then they come home, and they sort of got tested by the Blackhawks, and you had two rookies stand out, Paul Cotter, Logan Thompson, two guys that started with the AHL team last year. Then they turn around, and uh, they go out, and they dominate the way that they should up in Seattle. So I think that we've seen them win three different manners. Um, We're seeing some some diversity in terms of the scoring. I think that we're sort of seeing the establishment of of what Bruce Cassidy wants from this team. But I think that there's a lot to improve upon in terms of, you know, tightening things up in in the defensive zone, breaking out um, as far as the power play is concerned, you know, special teams. It's right mid-range. That's one of the things that was attractive about Cassidy when he got here was what the Boston Bruins had done. They're currently 14th, 25% conversion rate on the on the power play. Penalty kill, they're ranked 11th, 85.7%. They're the only 3-0 team in the league, so there's that. Uh, I mean, it's obviously the first week of the season, but no, it's, it's a positive start because you're seeing a lot of different players get involved um, from top to bottom, and I think that's what you want. And, it, and what it's allowing Cassidy, one of the big concerns out of the preseason was that fourth line, and I think he's seen the productivity. So uh, I, I just think it's impressive in that the wide range of personnel that's, that's sort of producing in their roles is getting it done, and it's allowing him to see what he's able to do with the different lines. And one person that I, you know, it was a little weird. He he he, put, he, moved, he shifted right away, and I think it was in uh, at the against the Blackhawks was uh, Phil Kessel. Wouldn't it be wild if he healthy scratched him before he got the Iron Man streak up in San Jose? <laughs> you think that's going to happen? No, absolutely not. Number three. There was no debate before the NFL season. Best division in football, one of the best in recent history, AFC West. Now, hmm. now the best division in football is the AFC East or the NFC East? AFC East or NFC East? Which is better? NFC East. Really? Yeah. I think you're crazy. The yeah, Commanders well, bring down. Well, that's besides a point. Well, the Commanders bring down the whole division with the NFC East. Listen, you and I made a bet earlier. I'm the uh, Jets fan. 
We set the overall season win total for the Jets at 7.5. I went under. You went over between the Bills being awesome, just filing away a road win against the Chiefs. Tua will be back with the Dolphins, looks like this week. The Jets are improved at least to be around a 500 team. And the Patriots are now bouncing back, Willie. I think the AFC East might be the best division in the NFL. Last year, the AFC East finished with 34 wins. Well, the last, NFC East, last year was last year. Let me finish. Last year was last the NFC year. Fini- the NFC East finished with 32 wins. Okay. So they both sucked last year. Well, no, I'm just saying that AFC East was better than two wins. Are you trying to formulate a bet? No. Oh, okay. No, I don't need to do I, everything on the show is not bets now. Okay, look. My, my, po- my point is this, this, both, this, this both coming from the guy who goes, wait, 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 there's a little bit coming on. Both divisions are much improved. They are. They While are, the, are, the are, AFC West is kind of scuffling at the bottom with the Raiders and the Broncos trying to find themselves, the, both of those divisions have surprised a lot of people. You are right that the commanders on paper, when you look at it, brings it down. I just have to wonder about the Dolphins situation and where that's at and where they're headed so collectively collectively i, I don't know what i thought the, the dolphins are do. i thought the dolphins did a pretty good job of staying in the game yeah, with they the did. vikings they and did. then jalen waddle had a big bet. fumble down the stretch and mm-hmm. you know unfortunately and then they also with their plan on starting skylar thompson he goes out and then teddy bridgewater has to come off the deck and played okay but it's fascinating what's going on right now with the the power shift in the national football league now that said the NFC East is run by the Eagles, but the Cowboys did enough in that game to think, you know what? One, quarterback controversy is averted. Cooper Rush, nice filling, but he ain't Dak. That when Dak is back, the next time around, Philly and Dallas is going to be very, very competitive. I turned it off when my team went down 14 nothing, and then went ahead and watched Redeem Team. Um, and then I checked my – I had a, a notification on my phone – and I went ahead and grabbed the score app, and I looked at the score of 2017. I was like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, what? The fourth what? Quarter, What's going they on back here? Into it and, they, yeah. and they really held down the Eagles for the uh, latter part of the second quarter all the way through the third. Let me ask you this. Let's throw the Dolphins, considering where they're at the, with injured, let's throw them in Washington out. Which better trifecta? Bills, Jets, Pats, Eagles, Giants, Cowboys. Right now. Bills, Jets, Pats. I have more faith in Huh. Okay. Your favorite team's the Jets, mine's the Cowboys. I got the East, you got the – well, we both got the East. You got the AFC, you got the NFC. Yeah, the Jets, that wasn't why I was picking the AFC no, but trio. You you sort of know the e- – you're going to follow that division. So you, you're, you're, I, your I follow, I follow the other one too, but my nah. the difference maker for me is the Bills are, I think, much better than the Eagles. And if you're looking at a second team in a division – Much I, better. I, I think, I think Belichick – yes, much better. I think Belichick – has started to get this thing going in the right direction, and he stepped in it, right, with Bailey Zappi. But Zappi is going to be the guy moving forward. Mac Jones may come back, and he may even, Belichick may even show him some respect and, and give him playing time, but I, I don't think Jones holds on to the job. I think Zappi's the guy. Which Meadowlands team is better? Giants slightly, but again, both. I think both are max eight-win teams. I would take the Jets over the Giants. I like the Jets. Really? I would t- I like the- now, Other you're getting, than- now you're getting wacky. No, no, no. Other than Barkley, I, I mean, I like the Jets' defense. I, 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 I'm I, a little impressed with the Jets. I, I really am. I'm not just saying that. I, I honestly am. I don't know if the Bills are much better 
we can discuss this at a different time. Number two. Why are the Patriots back? Because Belichick cares. And I'm not sure that Tom Brady right now is in the right headspace. I don't know what's going on with the guy because I thought what happened on Friday and Saturday was completely ridiculous. Bobby Kraft got married. How old is he? 82? 83? So he got hitched to the 47-year-old lady, right? 33-year difference. So, so 80 and 47. They have this big gala. All these you know, celebrities. Yep. Belichick ain't there. No. Belichick said afterwards, he's like, I heard it was great. Brady? Oh, he was there. Red carpet, taking pictures, yeah. missing Friday meetings with the Buccaneers, no walkthrough on Saturday. What the frig is going on? Come on, TB12. Giselle has broken him that much. It's the greatest competitor in the history of the NFL. Greatest winner. Where are you? Greatest winner. I don't know about greatest competitor. I I, I could put some defensive guys up there. But, I, I hey, priorities are priorities, but we saw what – the Patriots did to the Browns, and we saw what happened with the Buccaneers and the Steelers. So I, I don't know, man. There's a lot to unfold with Tom Brady, and it, it, you know. And here's the thing: I am okay with ragging on him for making a decision to go away from his team for the wedding, and then losing to the Steelers in his performance on the field. I brought it up during the preseason. We even had a sort of a gag promo about it in terms of, you know, Brady and his uh, – we talked about it, the marital issues. But to go in on his personal life, there is something more, and I'm not going to degrade or rag on him about that. He needs to get it fixed. And if that means stepping away from the game to, to, for the betterment of his mental health and for the betterment of the Buccaneers, because right now everything that's going on with this guy yep. is being is really bad for the Bucks. And I, you know, I, you said it earlier, you just said it again, and that's where I was going. Listen, if this is a mental health deal and he needs to walk away from the team or needs to talk to people, um, that Friday and, and you know Saturday absence, if he needed to be around friends because of what he's going through with his wife, okay. But then you've got to explain it to, to your team. And maybe he's already done it because the, the look on TV, the look this weekend of him not being around his team at important times before the game and then screaming bloody murder at the O-lineman, it, it, that doesn't work. That's got to be – he doesn't have to tell us. No, but, but he's got to tell Bowles and he's got to tell the teammates, like, man, I am struggling right now and I needed to go see Bobby Kraft and hang out with Meek Mill okay, let and, me, and whoever else he wanted to hang out with to get me right. Let me throw this at you. So he's going through it. He's going through, let's you know, the divorce and it's, 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 it's eating away at him, right? Hey, maybe it would be good for me to get away. So what does he do? He goes and he's to Robert Kraft's wedding, the owner of the team that he thrived with. He sees old Patriots. He, he's in his he's in his feels, as they say. But where is he at, Steve? He's at a wedding. Now you fly home, and that's just gnawing at you. It's eating at you. It's eating at your heart. It's just so. What does he do? Misplaced anger. Now you could be frustrated, but to lash out the way that he did, now it's misplaced. So you're harboring that, and now you're gonna really putting Brady on the couch, well. breaking him down. I feel bad for the guy. I feel bad so for the I. guy on a personal standpoint. From the professional standpoint, hey, hey, Robbie, Robert, Bobby, big guy, when you get down here for another massage, I'll visit you then. But until then, I got a game to prepare for. One of the best competitors in sports history in the NFL and his kryptonite has turned out to be, unfortunately, Giselle. Giselle. Top story. Number one. All right, Raiders back to work this week. When do we find out about Darren Waller? 
Uh, I assume he took the elevator at Petco Park. He was hanging out this weekend with friend Kelsey Plum. She threw out that first pitch, right? Okay, but he was there. So is the hammy okay? Because they need Darren Waller back. They need a full Darren Waller experience to get out of this hole. Well, I mean, traveling down to the game, watch her throw the first pitch. They can get in and out of town. That's I'm, I don't have a problem with that. It's not like I mean, he's he's. I'm sure he's going through treatment. He's going, you know. Yes, I mean, taking the elevator to the top to the bottom like you and I, was, I do. I was joking about I, the elevator. I, I, no, well, I bet he better be. Just joking. <laughs> he better be. I know. I know the. How about this? The last Raiders home game, we were waiting for the elevator to get to the press conference. I I, I hoofed it. I went. I walked all. I took. The, I took the stairs. You're crazy. I took the stairs. Because I was at the UNLV game, and one of the elevators was working slow, and these guys next to me started talking about the stairs. Yeah. And I'm like, I ain't going down, which is the easier way, and there's no way I'm climbing. It that was, thing's like a giant arena straight yeah, I'm not, up. I'm not going You up. did that? I went down went for the down? Broncos game because I had to get you? to – Well, because I, I had to walk across to catch uh, Russell Wilson. I had to make sure they got it, right? That was after that game. And, Yeah. Because we're sitting there, and I was I was at the near the back of the line, and we they hadn't even let us pass those doors. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked here. Raiders got to get back to work. We'll probably find out about why I could tell the talk story. Uh, Waller, I will talk to McDaniel's on Wednesday. He'll have his availability. Where the 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 uh, the media availabilities are starting to trickle in. I'm getting text messages. I'm getting emails about tomorrow. The coordinators. We're back to regular scheduled uh, work week with the Raiders tomorrow. Coordinators will be speaking, and I'm sure McDaniels will address Darren Waller. You're listening to the Battleborn Sports Hour, 766-1400. Call from anywhere in Nevada. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Rolling on Twin Peaks is a site getting ready for Monday Night Football. Big AFC West game. Broncos and the Chargers will answer the question in a little bit. Who would Raiders fans like to see win this game? you got to pick one, right? you got to pick one. Someone's going to win. Someone's going to win. All right, let's get into the bye week and what the Raiders are going to look like coming out of this thing, going up against the Texans. Las Vegas sitting at 1-4. and four. It's Steve. It's Willie. We're joined by Steve Berline, former Raider quarterback, a longtime NFL vet. Gives Cofield and company a little bit of time. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, guys. Um, what about you? I'm having so much to talk about. I, I don't even know where we begin. Yes. Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start here. We're going to get to the Raiders in a second. But um, we also follow UNLV football, and I'm uh, part of the broadcast team as a sideline guy. Listen, you know Notre Dame. Um, what is it going to be like going there? I'm sure it's old hat for you, but for us, what's it going to be like you know, watching a team play on that field and kind of be around that Notre Dame community? Well, you know, believe it or not, this is the one game I'm going to this year as well. Oh, okay. I'll be there uh, on Saturday. And, uh, you know, I, I, I really don't know what to expect, to be honest, because of the disappointment level that, that all Notre Dame, um, um, all of the Notre Dame global network is feeling right now. Uh, as a result of that game uh, Saturday night against Stanford and just the way things have gone to this point this year. Um, I don't know whether to tell you that, that prepare for a long day because Notre Dame is going to take it out on, on UNLV or uh, to go in there really expecting to win uh, because it seems like anybody can beat us on any day uh, depending on just what day it is. So, um, you know, you'll, you'll have a great experience. I mean, it'll be a sellout. 
Uh, the people will be out there tailgating, having fun, and welcoming. Uh, if you guys have a chance to do it, I don't know if you'll have a chance to go out and partake in any of that, but um, <laughs> it'll be an experience unlike any you've had before. And you know, you you have to make a point to to walk the campus and really take it all in and appreciate where you are for sure. Yeah, we're going to be there a little bit early, so we'll be there on. Uh... On Friday, so we'll probably walk around the campus, check out the stadium, try to do a little tech site check. So on the field, what what is happening with Notre Dame? Is is Marcus Freeman in over his head? Is there a lack of focus on the team? Where they're up and down, losing to teams like Stanford, Marshall? Is it the quarterback? You know, the fact that they had to go to a backup. What is happening? Well, I think it's uh, a little of, of all of those, um, and and I'm not throwing Marcus Freeman under the bus because I think he's. Um, I think he's going to be the right guy, and I think it's going to take a little bit of time. Uh, you know, he's 36 years old. He he was a first-year defensive coordinator last year, and I think a lot of people felt that he would be a great choice uh, to be Notre Dame's next head coach, but I think they envisioned it being three or four years down the line. And uh, it happened so quickly with Brian, Brian Kelly leaving and, you know, I, I think that he's been learning on the move, and he—he—it's he, going to take some time. And um, but but I, I think all of all of us understand and appreciate uh, how difficult that job is, and uh, his skill set is going to transfer and translate very well, I think. But he's going to have to learn how to make some really tough decisions, and one of them is, you know, what's going on with the offense. And I, you know, I, I've been saying. All along, I've never really been a huge fan of, of what Brian or what Tommy Reese does as an offensive coordinator. He hasn't impressed me very much in terms of, you know, trying to develop quarterbacks and giving them opportunities to make plays uh, on the field. Um, that's an issue. And then, then also the quarterback themselves. I mean, I don't think either one of the quarterbacks at Notre Dame this year were were really uh, legitimate enough or uh, uh, legitimate top five quarterbacks, when Notre Dame was ranked fifth in the country, I said, you know, to me, in order to be ranked fifth in the country, you've got to have an established quarterback. We don't we don't have a quarterback. And, uh, you know, even though the, the first guy went down, this is our second guy, I don't think either one of them uh, really clearly deserved to be the number one guy yet. And, you know, Drew Pine's playing right now. Um, you know, they're just not taking any shots up the field, not trying to make any big plays. They're there's nothing that they're doing uh, that really stands out as uh, as them maybe doing it well. They ran the ball pretty well. Uh, you know, they ran for 150 yards, uh, I guess, against uh, Stanford. But Notre Dame always should be able to run the football. But the only way you can compete with the big boys and really win consistently is if, uh, if you're making plays in the passing game. We just can't seem to do that. Steve Berline's with us. All right, let's build on that. Making plays in the pass game. The Raiders have been able to run the ball. Josh Jacobs has had a really good season. But, man, there's something going on with Derek Carr this year in terms of uh, connecting with all of his guys. He's, you know, They've had a pretty good season with Devontae Adams. But what are you seeing with the Raiders right now offensively? They can run it. They're just not as good as we expected throwing the ball. Well, you know, I, I think it's going to – we're going to see some improvement in that, hopefully coming off this bye week. You know, they've got a, a great matchup against the Texans coming up, as you said. Um you know, I, I, I really expect, uh, you know, Derek Carr to step it up here as the season goes along. It's a new system, and he's been through a lot of them. You know, I went through a bunch of them when I was playing, and, um, you know, I played on six different teams and ten different head coaches. And, you know, it's not easy just to learn a new language and, and get on the same page with uh, 
a new head coach who just hasn't had a chance to really get to know what you do well, what you feel most comfortable doing, uh, that there's a process that goes on uh, to get to that point where you're you're really on the same page. And, you know, sometimes it goes quickly, sometimes it doesn't. And I think this is a situation where uh, as the season goes along, they should get better. Uh, they've already put themselves in a big hole, though. And um, if, if we don't see dramatic improvement coming out of the bye week and, and really going into this game, a game they should win uh, handily if they're ready to play coming off the bye week, uh, then, then I think there's reason to be concerned. Uh, but, I, but I expect Derek to step up, and I think the offense will play well. You know, you got to get Waller back involved somehow. I don't know if he's he's going to play if it's a legitimate hamstring injury or if he's if he's milking something for a contract. I don't know, uh, but but I I do think they need him to be part of the plan moving forward if they want to be as effective as they can be. Um, you know, the, the combination of. Jacobs, Devontae Adams, and, and Darren Waller, that's a pretty good three-headed monster right there. And um, I, I think that if they can get those three guys going, uh, keeping defenses honest and off guard, uh, they can be pretty explosive. Steve, I know in your uh, rookie year, 1987, you suffered a season-ending injury um, during preseason play, but I spoke to one of your teammates. It was his final year with the Raiders. Uh, Saturday we had him on our show, Frank Hawkins, and he said that he feels as if this team, one of the things it lacks from the old Raiders uh, lore, if you will, was the nastiness. There's too much of a niceness that's overtaken this team in 2022. And there was an identity back then where it was just nasty, filthy, gritty, just, I don't want to use the word dirty because then people are going to think I mean dirty hits, but just that grimy Raiders football that comes across that he's not detecting from this squad that he feels there are some guys, you know, there are dudes and there are players. Like he mentioned Jonathan Abram. He thinks he goes out there with an intent to stick people, whereas there's there's that lacking nastiness. Have you do you detect that from maybe the eighty seventeen? I know again you weren't you, you were injured, but you were around it. You saw it, you felt it. Well, you know, I, I, I first off, I wasn't really injured in eighty seven. That was that was the uh, the Al Davis way of kind of redshirting uh, ah. at, at, at that point in time, <laughs> and every team was doing it. it. wasn't just the Raiders, but you know they would find a way to try to um, keep some of their players, you know, uh, covered up and protected. Um, and you know it was a very common practice back in those days. Um, I did have an injury, but it wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, but um, it worked. The timing was right, and they they made a decision to do it. So. Uh, but yeah, Hawk is right. I love Hawk, and you know, I I think, and it's not so much a Raider thing. I think for maybe those guys in that era, um, as you said, I was just coming into it, and I played only in the first five or six years of my 17 years um, before free agency, where you know these guys, those guys that played their whole careers on one team, yeah. uh, there was a different. That was a different world, and there was a culture. What was expected and you know, I got to experience that, but I also got to experience the other end of it with the free agency started in 1993, and it's a different it's a different day and age now. And uh, very few organizations really have an identity as clearly as they did back in those days, like the Steelers and like the Cowboys and like the Raiders, and go down the list. Um, but now I will tell you this: he's 100 percent right that if the Raiders want to be great, they do have to get 
a little bit of a nasty attitude. The great football teams in the NFL today all have that nastiness factor, uh, whether it's with their offensive linemen up front or a defensive attitude mentality. Uh, they have to. You look at anybody that wins a championship; they've got uh, guys that that are that, that have that reputation of being a little bit on the dirty, on the nasty side. They're not willing, or they're not afraid to to toe that line and maybe cross that line every once in a while to make a statement. So uh, I do think that to be a great team, you do have to uh, kind of walk that line um, between, you know. Uh, taking things a little too far at, at certain points. You've got to have guys that are willing to do that. Speaking to former Raiders quarterback and NFL quarterback Steve Berline, also out of Notre Dame, where UNLV will be this weekend. So, Steve, coming into the season, the big talk was, oh, boy, AFC West, four big-time quarterbacks, four big-time programs. What's going to happen? Now, we, just before you came on, we were talking about the two best divisions in football, NFC East, AFC East. What do you make of the AFC West? You know, it, it's been a head-scratcher, and you, you nailed it. The two biggest surprises are the AFC West and the NFC East. I mean, who would have thought that uh, the NFC East had three teams with four or more wins, and uh, one of them being the Eagles at 6-0. and um, but, but, you know, I think that you look at when you look at this thing when the season's over when it's all said and done i do think the chargers are going to be right in there i think the chiefs are going to be right in there you know whether the raiders and broncos uh can get their thing turned around is a little bit uh more of a dicey uh, proposition i think with the raiders a one in four start we all know that that's very difficult difficult if not impossible to come back and find your way into the playoff hunt but you know, that team is going to keep playing hard, and they're going to try and take it one at a time. And, um, you know, I've seen crazy things happen, and it could happen if they get on a little bit of a run. Uh, we'll see. But it's definitely been an underachieving division to this point. And, um, you know, it, it's caught everybody off guard because I think most people were expecting all four teams to be really good, solid football teams. Uh, now you've only got really uh, one team that looks really good in Kansas City, and they don't even look – you know, they didn't look unbeatable on Sunday at all. Buffalo took it to them and, and, and really, you know, to go down there and play the way they did in, in Arrowhead and come out with that win, they, they showed their superiority, I think, pretty clearly if you were watching that football game. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Thanks to you, Steve Berline, for coming on. Boy, he was down in the dumps about Notre Dame, huh? Talk about expectations. Man, Notre Dame doesn't win 9, 10 plus games. They are freaking distraught. I wonder what UNLV is going to be walking into. That'll be an interesting spot. All right, Monday Night Football. We got the Broncos. We got the Chargers. Mm. You going to take the Broncos plus the points? Already did. Two flawed teams? Plus four and a half. Absolutely. Why? Uh, well, I like Denver's defense a lot better than I like Los Angeles' defense, number one. Number two, um, I don't think that Justin Herbert has established himself in elite status He's he's for this season yet. I, what I'm seeing, when you look at the grades, you're a PFF guy. Look at what he's done when he's not under pressure compared to what he's done when he 
is under pressure. He, he, his efficiency completely collapses when the blitz is on. And I think that that's going to be a problem because what has Denver done well this year? It's their one strong point is defense and blitzing. 108.7 passer rating when not blitzed. Fifth in the NFL. Herbert, 78.7 rating. It ranks 28th when defenses blitz him. And that is exactly what we've seen, like I said, Denver thrive in doing. And on the defensive side with Los Angeles, well, <laughs> they're, at, they're allowing nearly 30 points per game over their last four. And it's been a decline. And when you look at the teams that it's played, Jacksonville went in there and threw, what, a 28 spot on them? Or 38 spot, excuse me. Went into L.A., threw a 38 spot. Since, so since holding the Raiders to 19 points in the season oper, opener, L.A. is allowed 24 or more. The average is 29.25. I said just under 30. So the teams they played, Chiefs, Jaguars, Texans, and the Browns. I think this is probably the best defense that it's faced. Denver's going in there with the must-win attitude. If they win tonight, they're in a tie for second place with the edge on the Chargers, one game back at Kansas City. I mean... It's not inconceivable that, that, you know, the Chargers have proven nothing to me, regardless of the personnel. Missing Joey Bosa. Russell Wilson has yet, his, his best games probably came against the Raiders complete. This is a tailor-made game for him to have a really good, I mean, you could see some balance coming from this. They've had some time. They beat Indianapolis on a Thursday. They've had 10 days off to prepare for this one. I, I think Denver – and here's the – here you want to know here here may be why they, the survivor that me and Adam or uh, Adam Hill were left in, one of the guys is out. He lost yesterday at the Bucks. Adam and another guy had the Rams. I made my pick last week completely just spaced and going back to check. You know who I got? Chargers. I'll get bounced tonight. Broncos will come and win out. I better hit. Is that I, why you bet it? You're like, I win either way. You know what? Now that I think about it, I might have to call my guy that that, that partners my neighbor, and have him throw a little extra on the uh, on the money line. Why not? Just to get some money back. Yeah. Well, just in case. Damn, you made a strong case that the Chargers are going down, and they're going down hard. I put the, I, I I put the Maloik on them by having them in my survivor, so I could possibly go down. I mean, I would step up and defend Justin Herbert's play by saying he's had jacked up ribs for a while, but you the, you gave the numbers. I mean, under under pressure, he hasn't played well. Well, it, some of it's because of the ribs. And Keenan Allen's out again tonight. Man, this is the yeah. longest hamstring injury that I can remember. Well, Darren Waller is going to say, hold my beer. Well, Waller came back. No, he just had. I'm saying he, he supposedly was a hammy in preseason. preseason. Right. Then he played, and now it's a hammy again. Keenan no, so, Allen hasn't played. Well, we'll see. And it's crushing them. Because yeah. you see it on the fourth down plays, which we talk about all the time with Brandon Staley. You want to, you know, I'm not going to say roll the dice because that's a dirty term on this show when we talk about going for it on fourth and short. But you want to go for it on fourth and short, and your short guy is Keenan Allen, and he's out. You can see the effect. Eckler up the middle, ain't working. Take the points. And trying to go with Mike Williams. Ain't working. It's Cofield and Company of the Battleborn Sports Hour presented by Battleborn Injury Lawyer 766-1400. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Tobel. All right, here we go. Getting ready for Monday Night Football. 
Got the Broncos and the Chargers. No Keenan Allen for the Chargers. Justin Simmons back for the Broncos. John, before we start looking ahead to uh, next week in the NFL, we'll look back a little bit. What's going on right now with teasers? So, you know, uh, you know, I like to play these. these they're called Wong teasers. Uh, they are aptly named for uh, one of the men who are credited for kind of not coming up with them, but uh, putting it out of the forefront. Um, but essentially, you know, those numbers where you're teasing through two key numbers, seven and three, either the underdog, which is one and a half, two and a half points, getting those guys up to seven and a half or eight and a half, or teasing those favorites down from seven and a half, eight and a half to one and a half or two and a half. Uh, generally, it is thought that it's a pretty profitable strategy when it comes to teasers, right? Uh, this season has not been the case, <laughs> and we had uh, some pretty good instances over the weekend. Uh, I went with what I had called the Bay Bay teaser, which is the Green Bay Packers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? Uh, teasing them both down through those two key numbers. Lost outright, and this has kind of been the theme throughout this entire year. Generally, getting through those two key numbers is not the, or is supposed to be a lot more profitable than it has been. So I was going to go over the next couple of days to get an exact idea of what it's been like. Uh, but talking to a lot of people who play these, from my own experience, we like to play those as well. Uh, it has not been the case. So it's been one of those things where I kind of want to track it to see if maybe it's just an anomaly through an early part of the season, and that'll kind of correct itself. Or if this is just one of those years where, ultimately, as crazy as it sounds, football season is a small sample size, that maybe this just isn't a profitable strategy this season. So it'll be fun to track. John Von Tobel is with us here on a Monday as we're live at Twin Peaks getting ready for Monday Night Football. Uh, by the way, I've heard more and more radio hosts and podcasters pitching the same game parlays, and uh, a lot of it is backed by books. Shame, shame, shame from Game of Thrones. Let me ring the bell. Please stop with the same game parlays. Yeah, I mean, so I, did, I don't know if this is actually a great thing. Did you see, I didn't, it, I tried to search it because this popped up on my Reddit feed, and it didn't seem to pop up a lot on Twitter. Uh, the other day, FanDuel accidentally sent out an internal email. Uh, oh, no. And in the internal email, uh, they were like, hey, our profit boosts have uh, have been winning at a very high clip, or our same-game parlay boosts have been winning at a really high clip, uh, and they send out, you know, like I think there's like five examples in the email, and everybody who got it was like, this doesn't make any sense. How could you send this to us? Uh, these are all losers that you're talking about. <laughs> no, they're winners for them. <laughs> they meant to send it internally, but it gives you an idea, right? There is a reason why they want to promote these. There's a reason why... They want people who work for them to promote them. Like, yeah. uh, you know, this and this is not to shame them specifically, but this is the only example that comes to mind. This is why the Dan Levitard crew, who I listen to a lot, I think they call Winning Wednesdays. It's why they give out parlays. It's why those are boosted, because they yeah. want those people to play them. But I just thought it was really funny. It didn't really catch on. But, yeah, but FanDuel sending out an internal email essentially celebrating how their boosts have been winning and betters going, I don't understand. No, you understand that they're right. winning. You're not. Yeah, uh, Doug Gottlieb was doing it on Fox Sports Radio on Friday. The same game parlay. Um, well, I forget who the I, I forget who the sponsor was on that one, but there was. Can a I really quickly? Like, I think it's kind of interesting in that regard, Steve, because remember, Fox Bet has their own book, yeah. and so he works for Spock Fox Sports Radio, and that's where you kind of get that emerge, like that merging, right, of the two things, where it's like this is your radio host who's giving out his opinion, but at the same time, he works for a, a, a entity that owns its own sports book. So, of course, they're going to start pro like promoting those. It's, it's a really interesting dynamic. Dang. Now i got to try to reverse this same game parlay on the Raiders laying a full touchdown against Houston. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Raiders are laying a full touchdown, JVT, against the Texans coming off a bye. What gives? 
Uh, I don't know. And uh, they're not going to have their second-best defensive player, right? Did Nate Hobbs hit the IR today? Yeah. Um, that's kind of a problem, I would think, for the Las Vegas Raiders. And you, look, the Texans, they have been a plucky crew who have done a really good job uh, in covering a lot of these numbers and coming in and being a relatively profitable team. They've been really undervalued. Are they winning these games? No, nah, but are they 3-1-1 one, one against the spread as they head into this game against the Raiders? They absolutely are, Willie. And, and I think, for me, when we're talking about that full seven – it's pretty interesting. I think I'm going to eye the Houston Texans this coming weekend. The Hobbs news really hits it. And I don't think a lot of people look at a corner and think like, ah, it's not a big deal. But PFF grading, he, like I mentioned, he's their second best player. Uh, he is from a run defense standpoint for a corner, very highly graded defensive player. Uh, he is their second best guy in coverage from a coverage grading standpoint, although it's a really low bar to uh, leap over just to give you an idea of how the Raiders secondary is playing. But I think it's a pretty big loss for a team laying a full touchdown that has been off to this disappointing start. But I have a quiz for both of you. Steve might know this because he looks at the PFF numbers. Who is the third highest graded defender for the Las Vegas Raiders this season? I I do know. I'm not going to answer because I was kind of shocked by it. But (laughs) the way I looked at it, I was like, well, they're using them the right way, I guess. Who do you think it is? Number three defender on PFF for the Raiders. By the way, clue, it ain't John Abram. Right. Uh, who has not responded to not getting his fifth year picked up? John Abrams at the bottom. I'm going to have to say it's Chandler Jones. No, oh. try to lead you Cleveland right Farrell. Yeah, Cleveland Farrell. Oh, okay, yeah. Yep. How about that? <laughs> hey, man, you get disrespected. You come out there, you play well. I, I was really surprised. Yeah. Now it's also kind of an average grade, but still, he's their third best defender. Yeah, no, I, I, the way that Steve said, well, maybe they're using him the right way. I, it sort of sounded like, well, hey, maybe they know what they're doing. With well, Jones. it's very situational. Yeah. He's only yeah. played. He's played like 114 plays. The leaders on the team are like 300. So, hey, if they're getting something out of him, that's that's a good thing. That's not really what you intended for the number four pick in the draft in year number four. Uh, give me a read on the Giants and Ravens game. So here's the thing. So I bet the the uh, I bet the Ravens. All right, in that game. And this is one of those where I feel like I was kind of like barking up the right tree, but the result was not there. Uh, this is, again, a game where you're looking at the Giants in like like statistically one where you walk away from it going like, man, they kind of got away with one here again. Like if you're looking at total yardage, uh, 406 to 238, seven yards per play to 3.8 for the Giants, 23 first downs to 18. Like we can go on and on down the list. 211 yards rushing for the Baltimore Ravens at 8.8 per attempt. Uh, they absolutely killed them statistically. But when you lose a fumble, when you throw an interception, when you're up by three, those are the things that are not going to allow you to win those games. And so yet again, here we have the Giants. The one thing they did well, by the way, they were 7-14 on third downs. Really good clip. But again, we have this Giants team that is winning these one-possession games that is getting thoroughly outplayed statistically, and yet they are conquering their opponents those are indicators that there is a fall back down to earth at some point. Uh, one of the good examples maybe we'll get into is the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, I am going to, even though I was burned, Steve, I think I'm going to go back to the well here and play against this one more time despite the result of what happened this last weekend with Jacksonville. I, I, like, I just don't know if the Giants – actually, no, they can't keep this up. But I will say this. Football, again, is an inherently small sample size sport. You are getting 9 to 10 possessions in a game – Over the course of an entire season of 17 contests, you do the math. It's not that many possessions. These kind of anomalies can continue to play out, i.e. the Tennessee Titans last season winning the one seed in the the, uh, AFC. So I'm going to take my shot again. But I, I like I, this is incredible that the Giants team continues to get these unfortunate bounces that go their way, and they're winning these games. Let's go in a wild direction here. It's not that wild, but different than football. And I want to look ahead at next week in the NFL here in a second, Monday Night Football. But 
Ken Palm numbers are out for Mountain West yes. Conference basketball. San Diego State is a top 20 team at 19. Then it's Wyoming, Utah State, Boise, Colorado State, Fresno, UNLV, Nevada, New Mexico. Um, I, listen, I think Ken Palm is awesome. I just don't know how numbers I – mean, I mean, you can you can put the numbers in. I don't know how they account for all of the comings and goings from the transfer portal with some of these teams. Uh, they don't. And, and I think that's why, like, these are a fun exercise and it's good to kind of see what they're going to be. But at the end of the day, like, I always say with any sort of number, right, like, you can use it, but, like, use it as part of a whole sample size. And really what I use Ken Palm numbers for, as you know, Steve – it's just for offensive and defensive efficiency and some other the tracking stats, not not so much his projections. Um, but I, like I'm with you, and to like to give him some credit, I, I would think that his overall projection of UNLV seems to be kind of right, which is a really solid defensive team. He's got their adjusted defense at 94.6, uh, which is 87th in the country, just under you know what 0.95 points per possession. Really projects them out to be. It's pretty good, uh, but their offense under a point per possession which kind of seems like on the surface what this UNLV team might struggle with. So I'm really interested to see what they're going to be. But I would not look at Ken Palm's ratings and go, oh, my God, the Rebels are the 118th best team in the country. There's room for growth. These players are playing together, a lot of them for the first time. Uh, this is going to be a good defensive team, and that could lead to some good results offensively. But I think it's more of just a fun thing like, hey, Ken Palm numbers, let's take a look at them. Oh, okay, and then you move on. And the same thing with Nevada because they got decimated by the portal going out. They brought in some interesting players coming in and McIntosh, Powell, and Lucas. And, you know, you saw with uh, UNLV last year, Donovan Williams, even though he didn't play the full season, turned out to be a pretty good player and, you know, is now trying to make his way in the NBA. So um, I would say about 10 games in, it'll be pretty interesting looking at the Ken Palm and where uh, these predictions land. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not hammering them. I think it's an impossible task right now with, you know, hundreds and hundreds, right. if not a 1,000-plus players changing teams across division one all right monday night football what are we doing with this game willie is on the broncos plus yeah i, I kind of get it like if you're telling me to pick a side i'd be on willie's side here uh, i just think especially when you're you know, you're catching like four there's three and a half but the thing that has kind of bothered me about the chargers guys is that defensively they have been slipping down the standings eighth worst defense in terms of epa per play uh, their rush defense has progressively gotten worse they are the fourth worst run defense right now coming into this game it's i mean if you read the quotes, it's what the Ra the Broncos want to do and it's what they're capable of doing is running the ball relatively well. I think it would set up uh, set them up nicely here against the Chargers. And it's funny because lost in all these conversations about Staley and analytics and his decisions to go for it is a defense that should be good under defensive head coach, but it has not been. And even if you look at some of the other numbers, like PFF uh, grades coverage, for example, going to another metric, uh, from a coverage standpoint, this team has been in the bottom half of the league for much of the season, the 10th worst coverage team in the NFL. This is just a defense that hasn't been performing very well. And so now you get a Broncos squad that's maybe a little undervalued given how everybody thinks about them, wants to run the ball. I would say that it's a pretty good spot for a Chargers squad that I think is a tad bit overvalued by the market because of perception to come in and grab a good spot. Man, this week in the NFL, some really interesting numbers. Dolphins 7 against the Steelers. Broncos 3 at home against the Jets. Uh, Giants, a dog on the road against the Jaguars, three. It is going to be really interesting, sharps versus squares, what happens with some of these numbers. Yeah. Well, how about well, how about Tampa Bay, Steve? So, like, look at the Bucks the last two weeks. 
against the Falcons, you barely scored 21 points, and you probably should have had a at least a defend a game-winning drive for Atlanta, besides a Grady Jarrett uh, roughing the passer call that should not have been. And then against the Steelers, who are down their top four defensive backs, you can't do anything offensively. So now you get to hit up you get to get now you get to hit up the Carolina Panthers, who fought tooth and nail with the Rams just this last weekend. Like the Bucks have done nothing offensively, absolutely nothing, and yet in these spots they got fed up to ten in a couple of spots yesterday against the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're laying 10, 10 and a half on the road here against Carolina. Like at some, at some point, someone's got to give. And here's the thing: it's not like you know how I painted this picture. Like Baltimore probably should have won that game. You look at all the numbers. That's not the case for Tampa Bay. If you look at their offensive numbers right now in the NFL. They are third. Uh, let's see. I got them at twenty fourth in the NFL in uh, EPA per play, just percentage points ahead of the Chicago Bears. They're off. It's crazy, man. I love the NFL because week to week they've got their numbers, and I think fans are going to look at it and just go just ballistic with the like I said with the Giants and the Jaguars. John, appreciate it. Uh, tell everyone around the country, around Nevada, where they can hear uh, and watch your VSIN shows. Uh, Hardwood Handicappers, the podcast, that's back uh, Saturdays and Sundays, 9 a.m., college football and uh, NFL live shows. And don't forget, season starts tomorrow in the NBA. VEASAN.com slash JVT. Daily write-ups start tomorrow. Thanks, John. And John's Saturday show is excellent. I was listening to a Saturday show driving around after you guys were done, Willie, on Saturday. Mm. Really good stuff. You know, live, uh, in-game wagering, odds uh, during the college games. It was really, really good. All right, Twin Peaks, Monday Night Football's coming up. Big beers under 4 bucks. Select appetizers, 2 4 and $6. And then Willie's got great prizes, great prizes. Tickets to go see the Scorpions, Golden Knights tickets as well. You've been listening to the Battleborn Sports Hour.